Close Horse is brought to you with support from the following sustainable brands. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Picnic wear, a slow fashion brand made by hand in New York City from vintage and dead stock textiles. Picnic wear strives for minimal waste, but maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Find Picnic Wear on Instagram at Picnic Wear, and that's where W-E-A-R, and at www.picnicwear.com. No Flight Back Vintage, bringing fun new life to old things. Always using recycled and secondhand materials to make dope-ass shit for dope-ass people. See more on Instagram at No Flight Back Vintage. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room, all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Shop Journal Vintage, specializing in upcycled, handmade, and vintage fashion for all genders. Owner Laura makes each piece by hand with love in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with an emphasis on upcycled menswear, tie-dye, modern jewelry, cottagecore collars, and everything in between. Shop Journal makes pieces they love and hopes you will too. Getting dressed should always be fun. See more on Instagram at shop underscore journal. Old Flame Mending helps you keep your clothes intact through clothing repair, visible mending, and tailoring. Through extending the life of textiles, Old Flame Mending makes your pieces not only wearable and functional again, but also unique and beautiful. This mending duo is based in Pittsburgh, but they take mail-in mending orders from anywhere in the U.S. For more information, visit them at oldflamemending.com or follow them on Instagram at oldflamemending. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer, but Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made to measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. 
Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at DylanPage.com and find us on Instagram at DylanPageLifeAndStyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Wide-Eyed Vintage, a curator of truly covetable vintage from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wide-Eyed Vintage encourages the experimental spirit of dressing up and will provide you with all the special pieces that will make your wardrobe truly unique. Dedicated to preserving the craftsmanship of clothes, Wide-Eyed Vintage only selects pieces that are well-made, pieces that have been proven to last beyond their lifetimes, so you too can enjoy them for more lifetimes to come. See more on Instagram at wide underscore eyed underscore vintage. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in Western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios, all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.cKinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at thumbprintdetroit. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage retailer that is dedicated to bringing you those special vintage pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just an online store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 20% of all sales are donated to a new charitable organization each month, amplifying and supporting causes like food insecurity, racial justice, homelessness, and LGBTQ support. For the month of March, St. Evans is supporting the Chicago Period Project, an organization that empowers homeless and in-need people to experience their periods with dignity. This feminist grassroots organization distributes pads, tampons, underwear, and other critical menstruation supplies to local shelters, schools, and crisis support networks. Works. Your vintage purchase from St. Evans supports a small, women of color run business while giving back to the collective community we're all a part of. New Vintage is released every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time at wearsaintevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's at where St. Evans. Shop vintage. Do good and wear St. Evans. Blank Cass, 
or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Welcome to Close Horse, the podcast that once owned a super shiny pair of pleather pants. It was a different time in my life for sure. <laughs> when I had short hair and I wore a lot of Technicolor wigs and I did a lot of rave drugs. I also hashtag outfit repeated those pants until, well, they basically disintegrated into a pair of chaps. <laughs> anyway, I'm your host, Amanda. Welcome to episode 61, the fourth episode of Consumption Month, which amateurs like to call March. Today is another hotline episode, a roundup of different messages and conversations I've had with different members of our community over the last few weeks. So what do we have? Well, we have a message from Erin the Librarian about her pleather pants. Carrie, the executive editor of CloseHorse.World, is going to stop by to tell you why you should contribute to the blog and so much more. Elise schools us on Depop and Amy explains how running a business is actually really hard and how everyone should just be totally honest about that. And I, of course, agree. I also wanted to add that I have a few more conversations that I've recorded with members of the community over the last few weeks that will be popping up in episodes here and there throughout this month. If you have something you want to share with the rest of the community, maybe an area of expertise or an experience you've had, an idea, a bit of wisdom that you think could benefit everyone else, please reach out to me. That's how all of these other people ended up on the show. You can record a short message on your phone or computer and email it to me at amanda at closehorse.world. You can call the Close Horse hotline at 717-925-7417. Or if you think it's a longer convo, like maybe more than five minutes worth of stuff to talk about, send me an email and we can set up a time to record our conversation. It's that easy. Before we power up the Hello Kitty phone and take some calls, I just want to remind you, if you're interested in supporting my work on Close Horse via Patreon, you can find out more at patreon.com slash clotheshorsepodcast. You can also send a direct donation via Venmo to me at crystal underscore visions. That's what Annie did this week. Thank you so much, Annie. It was such a pleasant surprise. And of course, thank you as always to everyone who supports Close Horse and me, whether it's via cash money on Venmo and Patreon or things that don't cost any money like leaving ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. I know that tricks some sort of algorithm into showing the podcast to other people. So that's great and super impactful. Uh, recommending the show to your friends, sharing our content on Instagram, and most of all, 
by actually listening to the show. (laughs) That's kind of the point of the whole thing, right? So thank you so much for taking the time twice a week to listen to Close Horse. All of your support allows me to hopefully someday, I just know I can do it, make Close Horse my full-time real paying job. That would be my greatest dream come true. And all of you make me feel like that's really going to happen. So thank you so much. Okay, our first call today is from Aaron the Librarian, who by now you all know, and it just occurred to me as I was editing this episode, I think we should just give Aaron like a recurring sort of audio column here at Close Horse. I know you all would love that too. So Aaron, let me know if you're interested. You are such a great starter of conversation on this show, and I think your input and your opinions and thoughts are so important. Aaron's call encompasses two things that we've been talking about lately, pleather and why we shop. It's the chocolate and peanut butter of March at Close Horse Podcast, right? So let's take a listen. Hey, Amanda, it's Erin the Librarian again. Um, I didn't want to clog up the airwaves so soon after my last voicemail, but I wanted to share something that I thought was perfect for Consumption Month. Um, It's the story of my pleather pants. Um, So long story short, I bought some pleather pants back in September. And for the record, yes, they were advertised as vegan leather pants. Now, I didn't know about clothes horse back then, but I was still trying to be like a good steward of the environment and buy less stuff in general. Um, I had read Elizabeth Klein's two books about the fashion industry, um, and even though I was buying better quality stuff, um, I was still finding myself succumbing to um, emotional purchases more than I'd like to admit. Um, I was really trying to stop. Um, and this past June, I had the perfect excuse to stop clothes shopping for a while. I found out I was pregnant. Um, totally unexpected, but once I got over the initial shock, um, I was really excited and I thought it was like perfect timing. Um, it sounds corny, but I had like so much hope for the future and it was really helping me like stop buying non-essential stuff. Um, pretty much the only thing I bought was like Chipotle burritos because I had this massive craving and it was like the only thing I could stomach eating. Um, anyways, fast forward to my first ultrasound appointment in July and we find out the embryo didn't develop. Um, we were going to wait a week to be sure, but, um, between that appointment and the follow-up, my miscarriage started. Um, so to say I was crushed was probably like the biggest understatement. Um, and I was really surprised at how hard I took it considering like I, I knew the risk was there. Um, All right, so to move forward, I started antidepressants and therapy, and I was also going to help my mom um, move across country to Arizona, which we did in September. Um, It was a fun little, like, road trip. Um, And we got to Arizona, and I decided to hang out for a few weeks, um, help my mom move in. Um, And because of the pandemic, I thought, you know, I'll just stay for a while, and it would be like all my holiday visits rolled into one. Um, And during this time, we took a day trip to an outdoor shopping center, um, and that's when I saw them pants. They looked so cool. Um, And I tried them on and they looked so cool. Um, And they felt pretty comfortable considering that, you know, they're plastic. Um, And even back then, like I knew this, I knew they were plastic. Um, But, um, and they were also a lot flashier than like stuff I would typically typically wear. Um, So I put them back, but I could not stop thinking about them. (laughs) Um, So, uh, I went back and bought them. I I thought, like, now that I can't be a mom, maybe I can be that cool person that wears, like, cool pants. Um, So, you know, I bought them, and they came back with me to Massachusetts. Um, Came back, tried them on for my husband. He's like, oh, those actually look pretty cool. Um, So I figured I had something to look forward to to wear after the pandemic. Um, 
I feel like I should also mention this wasn't the only like aspirational, like quote, I'll wear this after the pandemic, um, like end quote <laughs> purchase, but it was also like the most ridiculous thing I bought. Um, and then they just kind of hung out in my closet along with all the other ridiculous stuff I bought, like post-pregnancy loss. Um, and then like this winter, I just decided to do a big purge in my closet, which I think I talked about in my last message. Um, like, and I knew in my heart, I was just not going to be wearing these pants anytime soon. Um, they're extra, as like the kids say. Um, so I wouldn't wear them to the office when I do eventually go back. Um, and I don't really go out enough to really, like, I don't think I would wear them going out with my friends. So they didn't really justify the space they took up in my closet. Um, and I guess there's also some shame there knowing that I like succumbed to some stupid fashion trend. Um, so I ended up consigning them and actually someone bought them like almost immediately. So hopefully they have a, a good new life. Um, so I guess I'm sharing this because even though I try to be a mindful consumer, it can be really fucking hard, especially when you're like dealing with something upsetting. Um, and now like, not only am I not like, I'm having a hard time getting pregnant again. And now I'm dealing with some stupid, like random GI issue that's popped up this past month. And it's like taken away my like joy of baking, which was like one of my favorite things to do in the pandemic is bake. Um, and now, like, because it's winter and a pandemic, like, the only thing I can think of to try to, like, boost my mood quickly is to shop for clothes. Um, I've kind of directed this energy into, like, buying jewelry from local artisans and buying some secondhand stuff. But to be honest, I've also bought a few new things as well. Um, but at least those new things aren't, like, these aspirational purchases, like pleather pants. And uh, this. I also bought this unicorn print button-down around the same time. But anyway, um, but yeah, I feel really guilty sometimes. Um, and at first I felt really ashamed for buying pleather pants, but now, you know, I'm going to try to use it as a learning experience. Um, anyway, thanks for listening and say hi to Brenda for me. As you all know, I mean, this is what Consumption Month is all about. I've been thinking a lot lately about the different reasons that we buy stuff. Yes, sometimes we need it, but we all know, everyone who's listening right now, that most times we don't actually need something. And that the concept of need versus want is less a versus and more of just like a spectrum. And it's so personal, right? What I think I need, you might think I just want and vice versa. And what we need versus want over time can change as well, right? Erin and I had an email exchange a few weeks ago about grief, pain, and loss and how it motivates us to shop sometimes, it's sort of like a mega version of so-called retail therapy. As I've mentioned before, you know, my daughter's father died a few months before she was born. And to say that my whole life fell apart would be an understatement. I mean, all loss is excruciating. But this one, I just, it was just like the perfect storm of every aspect of my life falling apart. I had to quit my job. My mom had to drive to Chicago and, and help me pack up all of my stuff in a U-Haul trailer. We brought it back to rural Pennsylvania. In one week, everything I knew was gone. To be an adult who had been living in the city for years, doing all kinds of cool stuff, just constantly meeting cool people, wearing pleather pants, and to just feel for the first time, really, in my entire life, so optimistic about the future, just full of dreams and plans. And then to quite suddenly, almost as if someone had flipped a switch, to find myself living with my mom in a trailer in rural Pennsylvania, 
a place that I had dreamed of leaving since probably kindergarten. Well, it was like all of my dreams and plans were gone. They were scrapped, maybe thrown in the trash bin and burned in the backyard. I don't know. But I had just completely lost my will to be alive. Like I just could not see how I could even live one more day. I couldn't enjoy books or music, which had always been my go-to since I was a kid for feeling good. I've never been much of a television person, but I definitely couldn't watch anything on television because inevitably every show or commercial would feature a baby, a family, someone dying, a man who looked like Dylan's father. I mean, it was just, there was no respite to be found anywhere. My mom and my grandma would force me to leave the house with them a couple times a week to go shopping, like specifically go have some lunch and go shopping. Because even to them, it made sense that clearly what I needed was a trip to the mall. And maybe it did kind of work. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, to be fair, it was something else to think about. It was a reason to get dressed. Even though I was broke AF, I definitely remember buying some super weird stuff during that time primarily stuff I thought I might want to wear after Dylan was born, like things that I wouldn't normally wear. And, you know, I'm a pretty wild dresser. So maybe these clothes that I was buying were not very wild. I'm not really sure. I guess I was just thinking that maybe I was going to be this completely different person when this moment occurred where that change would happen. Does this sound a lot like Aaron's pleather pants or what? I mean, I do have a habit of shopping when I'm sad. I've talked about that here before. And maybe it started then, but more likely, I've been doing it a lot longer than that. Because as I've mentioned in the past, my grandma used to take me shopping a lot when I was having a bad time at home, which, to be honest, was most of the time. What I wonder now is, is it the actual stuff we buy that we expect to make us feel better? Or is it just the idea that these purchases will create a new future for us. I, I mean, you know which one I'm leaning towards, right? Because I can look back now and I definitely felt so just like destroyed when I was buying all of these clothes for this new life that was supposedly coming down the road for me when all of the pain and sadness was over. Like I needed to believe that there was a light at the end of the tunnel and maybe buying a new wardrobe was proof that better times were coming, or at least it was getting me closer to those better times. I will say, because I've been thinking about this a lot lately, obviously, a lot of my shopping outside of the randomness of thrifting, which I can't control what I'm going to see there, but like other shopping outside of that, always begins as like an idea in my head a feeling, a vision of a way I want to feel, and the sort of accoutrement to get there are what I need to buy, right? So it's like I create this shopping list based on this vision I have of some moment that hasn't come yet. It might be a dress or a pair of shoes or some wild eyeshadow, but I see in that vision of this future that I need that thing, And sometimes that vision is actualized. Other times, it's definitely not. Buying the thing doesn't change my reality. 
I've been trying to retrain my brain to create that vision with things I already own. And it's it's not easy, right? Because there's this hopefulness that we have when we buy something new. I catch myself constantly starting this exercise of this vision of what I'm going to be when I acquire this thing and that perfect moment that will exist because of that. We know that changing our habits, consuming less, transforming our relationship with stuff, it's an ongoing process. And it's an ongoing process for me too, which is why I want to talk about it. I would love to hear all of your thoughts about grief shopping, just generally why you buy things, how you're changing your habits. Like what are you doing inside your brain? Do you get that weird vision of that moment where everything is amazing? Tell me about it. Let's keep this conversation going, even past consumption month, you know? We learn from one another by sharing our stories and experiences. So drop me an email or call the hotline or do what Aaron did and record a voice memo and send it my way. Thanks for doing that, Aaron. And I meant what I said about a recurring segment. Okay, well, next... Carrie is the executive editor for CloseForce.World. She actually works in the publishing industry, so we are super lucky to have her on the team. She and I took some time this week to talk about the blog and why you should contribute. So let's take a listen. Hey, why don't you introduce yourself? So um, I'm Carrie. I've called the hotline a few times, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm the executive editor of Clothehorse.world, the blog. So I work closely with Meg, the content producer. Mm-hmm. She was on a couple of weeks ago. She described herself as like everyone's cheerleader. And <laughs> uh, yeah, which is great. It's the perfect role for her. She makes everything mm-hmm. feel possible. And then my role kicks in um, once a contributor submits a draft of their post. So I kind of think of myself as everyone's most gentle, kind critic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but it's more than that, because I really think that you help everybody sort of fine tune. You sort of polish what they created so that it brings out all of their best attributes. And I think, you know, I mean, I've worked, you and I have forthcoming a hot vegan leather piece. And mm-hmm. you really took it and made it even more focused and direct and clear. Oh, well, I'm I'm glad you think so. I felt like I barely touched it. Um, <laughs> and you have, clearly have a lot of editing experience just doing the podcast. And I know you've done some other really interesting things that I'd love to learn more about at some point with your zines. But, yeah, you know, I, I do – Um, I really enjoy reading um, people's work and coming up with a title and a subtitle that brings out the purpose of their piece. Um, I do some reorganizing and shaping sometimes. Um, If something is missing or unclear, I'll ask the contributor to expand on it or rewrite. I feel like sometimes people come really close to saying what they want to say, and they just – you know, shy away from it. And Mm -hmm. I try to ask some questions to tease that out. Um, So I'm not really criticizing. I'm, I'm trying to amplify. And like you said, make, um, help people express themselves at their best. 
Well, and I think, you know, it's important for everyone listening to remember that most of us have only written for school or work. And so, mm-hmm. the you know, when you're writing for school, it's really about, like, I've got to just hit the points and get the, get the grade, right? And when you're writing for work, it's sort of a similar thing. It's about just, like, getting the job done. And, you know, what we're – everybody's writing for the blog is so much more personal. And I think that's mm-hmm. why sometimes – you know, we're just – we're not used to, in general – people wanting to read about us and our thoughts. Mm. And so I think that's a skill you have to learn is like, hey, I have interesting things to say. Here they are. And I think that you help people get there when they're not super experienced in talking about themselves. Yeah, I think the first uh, step is feeling the permission to do that mm-hmm. and having a an editor as a partner who gives you permission and it's really, even if you're a great writer, uh, you need that. Um, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. So I'm, I'm excited about playing that role. I guess. And you also, I mean, this doesn't really affect all the contributors in a way that they might notice, but it actually keeps things running and makes sure that we give everybody the best experience ever. And that is like, you are like the chief organizer of World, <laughs> And I mean, that's like all happening behind the scenes, but you know, we recently had a phone call where I guessed that you were a Virgo, and we're really <laughs> lucky to have you. <laughs> I think the rest of us would just be, like, feel, having all these feelings and chaos, and you, like, keep us on track. It's what we need. You created a tool that keeps us online and makes things happen. And it really, it's it's so important because it ensures that nobody's work falls through the cracks and no one who contributes has a negative experience where they feel like we forgot them. I think without you, that would be happening all the time. So, Oh man, that's so nice I of know. you to say. I, <laughs> it's like one of those things that you don't see when you're reading the blog, but as one of the people who works on it, I'm like, this is like such an integral part of it because we're dealing with so many different people and different places and different ideas. And we all have other projects going on. It's just like, this has helped us ensure that everything happens and everybody has a good time doing it. Oh, I love that. You know, I, I love organizing, um, <laughs> whether it's <laughs> anything, organizing stuff by color, um, organizing, uh, you know, people's writing and text. I love outlining. I mean, yeah, it goes on and on. Anything that involves organizing is my love language. And um, so. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are hearing that right now and be like, that somebody finally sees me and gets it. (laughs) So um, we, Meg and I talked about how, like, one of the things that we've heard the most from people interested in contributing is like, oh, I'm not a writer or I don't know, like maybe my idea is not that good. They feel really intimidated. So many people feel that they just cannot write effectively. What would you like to tell them? Well, you know, I I think that, um, again, to repeat what Meg said, the whole team wants you, the contributor, to look good. And so we're all invested in that. And I think when, you know, people are, are critical about themselves as writers, um, I've, I've really come to understand that a writer is anyone who is willing to just represent their voice on the page. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be neat. It doesn't need to be perfect. It really just needs to be honest. Um, a person just has to be willing to convey their point of view and what they know. And 
I, as an editor, really just want to stay true to that voice that I hear when I'm reading the work. I, everyone's work brings a different voice in my head when I'm editing, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I already know what your voice sounds like, and your writing sounds, you know, <laughs> sounds exactly like your voice. But, I, you know, I, I feel like everyone has a, a certain tone and personality. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would say, like, don't worry about being a quote-unquote writer. Focus on getting, you know, your honest experience and thoughts on the page, and then we'll figure out how to polish it. Um, it's kind of like editing is like sculpting, and I look at the writing as clay. And I really love to edit, but I need writing. I need the clay in order to practice <laughs> my craft. So I just, I just don't want people to hesitate to submit because of that. Yeah, I think, I think that's such a great point you know it's it we're all in a mutually beneficial situation right now like we all mm-hmm. enjoy working on this we're super passionate about it and it it for all of us it kind of brings together all of our interests I mean like obviously none of us get paid for this we do it because we love it which brings me to the next point or question I guess you know it's 2021 it's the era of TikTok why should people blog these days? Because there are so many other ways to reach people with your ideas. Yeah, it's true. There are so many ways to engage and have a voice online, um, if that's what you want. And clearly, I mean, our blogging process, um, <clears throat> you know, if we're able to move swiftly, takes a little over two weeks from submission to posting. So that's that's not exactly instant gratification. Um, but you know, Meg talked about the therapeutic aspects of writing, and I completely agree with what she says. Um, just from the standpoint of the process of, of writing something long form, it's just um, it's just such a great way to, you know, get in touch with yourself and express yourself and give yourself time. Um, and then I'd say that contributing the blog, also contributing to the blog, gives you a chance to showcase what you know and care about. And it's a great platform and an online space that's accessible and official. And, and, you know, in other words, you can direct a prospective employer or your grandmother or a friend um, to the blog and say, hey, I I wrote this. I I contribute to a sustainable fashion and lifestyle blog. And that to me sounds a lot smarter than, oh, I, I really spent a lot of time on this. Instagram caption. No, no offense to you, Amanda. You're no, I hear you. Caption. I I laugh to myself uh, about the amount of effort I put into Instagram captions <laughs> all the time, you know. And w- actually, when we all first started talking about the blog, I said, you know, I feel <laughs> I feel really limited by these Instagram captions. What if I could really explore a topic? Like even for me, I would have to say, like contributing to the blog allows me to really shape my own ideas, you know, about the things I'm passionate about and share information because I'm constantly reading something and I'm just like absorbing it all. And I like to have that synergy of turning it into a real idea, which I can do for the podcast. But, you know, I also do a lot of that at Instagram, but, you know, you can only, it's only, I want to say 2,100 characters and an Instagram caption. That's a really challenging medium. And so it also like, it's like, yeah, like, I'm not going to put on LinkedIn, check out my sick caption, bro, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, when you and I started working on the vegan leather piece, it was like, 
wow, would it be really great place if I could just like, like to send someone to one place where they could find out all of the information without me being like, oh, check out the Instagram stories and listen to the podcast and just message me and I'll send you some more links. Like, I just was like, could we please have one place that is like the hub for all of the information? And so it felt good to me to say like, whoa, here's something that I somehow in one way or another became an expert in. And now I can like show everyone and share my knowledge. Yeah, it's it's really great that it lives in all these places. I mean, people are we're not really surfing the web, you know, like they're, they're discovering, <laughs> yeah. they're discovering things through Instagram and social media and podcasts. But where does that information then live and, uh, you know, come up in search? It can't, it can't come up in search in a, in a social media platform. Um, we can't do searches in podcasts, you know, granular searches. So that information that you spend so much time compiling and researching and articulating is is locked in those spaces. And I'm just really glad that you have um, gotten behind the blog and made it happen. And it's just it's it's really so beneficial to the close horse message. And then obviously it creates this space for collecting knowledge. And it, it needs to be out there. So, yeah. So I think it's, it's as relevant as ever. We have this community that is so passionate, has so much wisdom and experience to share. And it's, it's nice to have a platform and sort of hub for that community. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's the podcast has attracted such a, you know, a smart, um, creative group of people, so conscientious. And, you know, I'm, I feel a little emotional talking about this, but I, I wouldn't have found all these people if it hadn't been for the podcast. And now, um, I have the blog as a way of really getting to collaborate and, you know, get to know new people. And during this particular year and how far flung we all are, it's, it's really been magic. And I do not use that word lightly. (laughs) No, you definitely do not. I am so glad you all got to meet Carrie. Don't you feel like your work is in the best, most capable hands? So are you ready to contribute something now? We need your submissions. Let's change what good style and a good life means for the rest of the world. You can send your idea to submissions at closehorse.world or check out the contribute page on the website. We want your outfit repeats, your thrifty finds, your DIY projects, your life experiences, all of it. So share it with the rest of the community. A few weeks ago, Haley dropped by to update us on her reselling adventures. And by the way, you can find her latest update at clotheshorse.world. In our conversation, we asked all of you to share your advice and knowledge about Depop with us. And I recorded two amazing conversations with two top Depop sellers, Elise and Ava. Today, I'll be sharing my conversation with Elise, and Ava will be appearing in one of the next episodes. It was so fascinating to talk to both of them because they have totally different aesthetics. They live in two different places, and yet they both have found great success on Depop just by listening to their customers. 
they both have a lot of experience and wisdom to share. So I'm excited for you to learn from them. So today, like I said, we're going to listen to Elise's conversation. Elise Nye is a major go-getter. In addition to the Depop store she runs with her sister called Nyliner, she also makes a podcast called World is Burning, where she and her co-host Olivia tell each other wild stories from the environmental movement. And there are a lot of wild stories out there, as you know. And along with that, they share ways we can all join in the fight to save the planet. So you should definitely check it out. And don't worry, I'll link to it in the show notes. Okay, well, let's meet Elise. Elise, why don't you introduce yourself? Awesome. Yeah, I'm Elise. Uh, my Depop shop is Nyliner. Um, my, I'll give you my full name, Elise Nye, because the shop is kind of a pun on that. Um, I started it with my sister in 2018. The name comes from our last name, Nye, and our mutual love of eyeliner and Amy Winehouse. Um, and it just kind <laughs> of happened. So, you know, that's what that is. I support that. I like I like the the name origins. <laughs> so yeah, we started our shop Nyliner on Depop, um, just because we wanted something creative to do together. Once the pandemic hit, um, I went home to my parents' house. She was also there, and we just kind of started, you know, working on our shop more and more uh, when there was nothing else to do, and. It kind of really grew over last summer, and now I'm doing it mostly as my full time thing. So it kind of, I kind of, it's amazing. Yeah, fell into it, and I was just like, I'm having a lot of fun with this, um, and also it's something that I feel safe doing for the most part in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've just kind of leaned into it, and it's been really fun. So you only sell on Depop, correct? I sell mostly on Depop. And then I recently have been trying out Etsy. Mm. So it's a lot slower. And I, I don't have as much stuff listed over there. But um, I've been trying that out as well, just to kind of see how it goes. But definitely Depop is my main thing. And why why did you choose Depop? Um, so my sister, Sarah, is Gen Z. And like (laughs) she uh, through high school sold a lot of clothes on there and she was kind of the one who told me about it and I sold my clothes like out of my personal closet for a while just you know once there was something that I was like I don't think I'm wearing this that much anymore I'd put it up there and then so we were both on the platform and then when we were thinking of like what kind of fun creative thing can we do together that kind of jumped out as something that would make sense because we both had experience on the platform. So that was kind of how that that happened. And I mean, we both were on it all the time and, you know, buying things off of there. So it just kind of happened naturally. I'm assuming you like go out and like thrift for the stuff that you sell. Okay. So I know that this is like a controversial thing. Um, So that was kind of how I started. But when there was a lot of discussion about like gentrifying thrift, which I think there can be a lot of different ways that can go because there's so much on like at thrift stores. Um, But since the pandemic happened, I've pretty much been sourcing from like just like bulk things online and um, and like lots of things. And then 
um, going to estate sales, uh, specifically more towards the front end of the pandemic, I found a lot of online auctions and would do like virtual estate sales and then go pick things up so I didn't have to be around anybody. Um, So yeah, I kind of got away from thrifting. I mean, I have so many feelings about that gentrification of thrift argument. Yeah. If gentrification is the term we want to use here, which I don't think is appropriate, what what it really is is like everybody needs to be thrifting yeah. or we're we're just going to destroy the planet I agree. even faster. I agree. Um I I yeah, I have a lot of feelings about the term gentrification specifically because it implies that thrifting as it exists right now is somehow like gross or not nice or unacceptable and that those those uh yeah. conditions would have to change in order to get average people to thrift and I'm like no actually like thrifters have gotten pretty fancy yeah it was it was just one of those where I was like I'm not sure so I'm just gonna take myself out of the situation and do something else and like honestly I feel like it worked really well like I've kind of almost preferred that just for myself it's kind of like it can be grosser and weirder if you're going to someone's house but also like I found like really cool vintage stuff and it's also been fun to like get a collection of someone's like personal mm-hmm. wardrobe as like kind of morbid as that can be, but like <laughs> listing on my shop, like it's all like cohesive things. Uh, if I do like a round of that, so it's kind of been really fun. And I mean, it takes up as much time as I have. So I've just kind of switched it. Like I might go back to sourcing from thrift stores, but. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of been a fun adventure trying it from a different angle. And obviously, I still love thrifting and think <laughs> more people should thrift. I think that so many people, the first when you say secondhand, the first thing they think of is a thrift mm-hmm. store. And that's actually just like one part of this entire kind of ecosystem yeah. of secondhand stuff, not even just clothing. And like estate sales are a part of that. Yard sales. I love a good yard sale. Flea markets, mm-hmm. auctions. Um I mean, there's there's just so much. And the ability to now buy, like, lots of this stuff online or, like, bales or blind mm-hmm. boxes is kind of wild. It's – Yeah. There are so many ways in which you can either shop for yourself or shop for your business, which I think is great yeah. because I do think that when you say secondhand, people automatically go to thrift. Thrifting can be really daunting. And it is really labor-intensive, especially if you're trying to run a business. So I think it's always exciting to talk about all the other options. And obviously, I love an estate sale. So, But I'm also a creep, and I want to see people's houses. You know what I mean? (laughs) No, same. Oh, my goodness. There's been so many estate sales where I've just been like, who was this person? Totally. That's my favorite part. (laughs) Yeah, I have – looked up obituaries to find out what the deal was Uh because like when you go into like an 80s like mansion that's all teal and everything is like a a whole vibe and like why is the grout teal and everything like who how what I needed to know so I found out (laughs) but but yeah no it's it's totally just like a whole different world of stuff and again it takes up just like there's more than I can even go to so like again there's so many different avenues for finding secondhand stuff 
like truly like you will never run out it's true i mean there's just like even if you take out thrift stores <laughs> yeah which you should not but <laughs> it's kind of wild yeah. like how much i mean it, surprise surprise we're like surrounded by stuff everywhere mm-hmm. uh, we didn't even mention facebook marketplace like that's another place and yeah. i haven't really looked for clothes there but apparently Buying secondhand clothes off of Facebook Marketplace is an integral part of the, like, used U.S. clothing trade in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's another channel. I mean, there's just stuff everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, I was talking to Haley, you know, the challenge Mm -hmm. that she was running into and that I was like, yeah, I I don't know. (laughs) It was like, how do you get eyes on your stuff when you list it? Okay. So – there's a lot of different things. So um, I know you talked a lot about search and how you weren't really – like it was confusing, um, the search process, which um, Depop right now is like going through changes to um, deprioritize spam taggers. So – Okay, wait. Time out. What is a spam tagger? Okay. So if you find a listing and like – someone writes a description and then under it they'll tag like a bunch of different brands that aren't oh, aren't yes. the piece and then they're they tag like every trend they're like y2k whatever uh <laughs> i hate that cottage I, core, I, blah 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 yeah. like every trend that is irrelevant to the piece um so like that is hopefully being worked out of the platform or at least put down to the bottom of the search list it's still a process it's still happening those are still coming up in search but that i think is something that clogs up depub's search um which is probably why it's sometimes hard to find the thing that you're actually looking for um but they're working on it so um with that in mind um i think it is really important to just describe the piece as accurately as possible with as many like accurate search terms as you can think of kind of just like think of all the things that you would use to search that piece Mm -hmm. and include Mm -hmm. it like work it into the description somehow um so like that's step one and then um yeah just making it really obvious like noting any flaws add measurements if you can um but, like, that is kind of in terms of writing the description, how like, what I would suggest doing and just keeping in mind that hopefully the search itself will become more and more accurate and better as they kind of develop that. Um, mm-hmm. The second is just taking really, like, good pictures, clear pictures with good lighting, have a good, ba- like, just clean background Um and kind of take pictures that maybe you're moving a little bit or just like showing off the piece and you're not just like standing like a stick. Um, like give it a little bit of personality. Um, <laughs> so don't um, just like hang it on a hanger and take a picture of it or lay it on the floor. Well, I, it depends. Modeled photos generally do better on Depop, but mm-hmm. also if flat lays are your thing and you can make them look really good and cool – Um, Or if something doesn't fit you and you just don't know how to model it, like, you can do it. That should kind of be second. But if, like, that's your thing, figure out how to make that look really cool and appealing. Like, 
make sure there aren't wrinkles. Um, if you can kind of tell a story with different objects and like make it like an Instagram flat lay, I guess. Um, but like make sure you can understand the shape of the piece, like what it actually looks like. Um, and if you do flat lays, you're going to get a bunch of messages asking for you to try it on. So if you want to save some time, model it, <laughs> even though that's <laughs> annoying. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. I think I've worked places where we've actually done like a ton of analysis into like, is it better to shoot on a form? How to flat lays perform? Put it on a model, you know, better with a mm-hmm. white backdrop or like out in, you know, out in the world. Like we've done mm-hmm. so much research into all of that. And basically the more like mood your image has, the more likely it is something's going to sell. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I definitely think it's a like a balance of like what you can do time-wise, what you're comfortable doing, um, like how many can you shoot looking, looking at a certain way, if that makes sense. Um, and just like generally keeping things rel- relatively consistent through your shop, I feel like is also helpful. Um, and there is a photo guideline that Depop has that um, helps you take photos uh, exactly how they want to f- be featured on the Explore page, which mm. I feel like is a really big part of Depop and how you can grow your shop. Mm-hmm. Um like, I've tried to follow their instructions uh, pretty well, which, again, just, like, good like good lighting, clean background, make sure the piece, like, you can tell what it is. Um, but being featured on the Explore page has gotten my shop a lot of traffic. Um, and I've also been featured in the Meet the Seller section above the, um, wow. the Explore page uh, once last summer and then another time. Uh, for for like their holiday shopping promo thing just because I have a lot of accessories that are good for gifting but like having their photos or having the photos that follow their guidelines will definitely get eyes on your page um you know outside of search which is super helpful and another thing is that things need to be 30 US dollars to be featured on explore so that's mm-hmm. just something that in thinking about pricing, like if you're thinking of, you know, making something $28, you might just want to make it 30 Yeah, that makes um, sense. <laughs> yeah. So just like little things like that, trying to get on Explore, like you can definitely grow a following and sell a lot of stuff without being featured. Like it's not mm-hmm. necessary, but it helps a ton with growth. Um. And another tip is just move all the sold items down to the bottom of your shop. On the desktop version of Depop, there's just a little button on the profile that does it all so you don't have to bump everything. Um, So just keep your shop neat, um, which, again, just, like, makes people want to buy more things from you. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I said move things down with that button so you don't have to bump, but bumping things does help a bit. So just like hitting edit and like reposting the item kind of just like brings it up in front of people's eyes again and takes a while. But if you you do it while you're watching a movie, 
you know, <laughs> it's whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think I, I think that's really smart. I mean, I know that's kind of what Poshmark is going for with the sharing, but that also mm-hmm. is like so energy intensive and really mm-hmm. doesn't guarantee any sort of success because everybody is just constantly resharing like infinite numbers yeah. of things. And so I think each share sort of loses its power. Uh, yeah. So it, it seems a lot more organic on Depop to just throw it back out there again. I mean, sometimes I wish I could do that with like Instagram posts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be good. Which, um, actually that's another thing, um, is the Depop algorithm is apparently really close or it's like similar to Instagram. So mm-hmm. like, it's kind of the idea where like, if you post six different posts on Instagram at the same time, they're going to get less engagement. But if you were to post those six posts over a period of time, each one would get more engagement. So it's basically the same thing with Depop. Um, So if you have, let's say you want to list 10 different things, you should try to not list them all at once. I don't always do that because (laughs) I just want to get them out. That's a great piece of advice though, because just about anyone would assume like, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. You know, just get her done. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, like, you shot all these things. You want everyone to just, like, see them and it's exciting. But um, if you – also, like, I want to write all my descriptions and do all, like, any photo editing and all that in one go. So um, I'll sometimes save them to drafts and then post the, like, already made listings over a period of time, whether that's, like, every half hour over the course of a day or, um, you know, just depending on my schedule – spread it out a little bit. So that is something to keep in mind as well if you have a lot of things to list. On on a lot of the other apps, services, Mm -hmm. if you will, platforms, including Etsy, there is a lot of like push to offer free shipping um, and it really pushes you up in the algorithm. Does Depop do anything like that? Yes, they do. So Ah. they want you to do free shipping. Um, I do offer free shipping, but I think uh, in the last episode that I listened to, Uh, I don't know when this would come out, but uh, there was someone who said um, something about um, kind of saying shipping is included instead of free shipping, which I'm a big fan of because I think of it like I'm going to add the shipping cost onto the cost of the item. Um, It's going to be in there. You're going to be paying for it. It's just not going to add shipping. So kind of just like, you know, the price up front, that's it. The whole thing is included. The service of shipping is included. Um, and I will tell people that if they're trying to haggle with me, you know, if I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. too low, like shipping on this chunky sweater is going to be around $10. So like (laughs) that's included in the price. I can't go lower than that. No, I Um, mean, I love that. I think that there needs to be more of that because, the average person, until they've had to sell stuff and ship it, doesn't realize that it costs more to send a sweater than a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. also – I just don't think people really have a firm grasp of how expensive shipping actually is. Because, like, I yeah. I spend a lot of time at the post office, it seems like. And yeah. There's always someone in there being really angry about how much it costs to send something. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Especially if you get over, the, like, the size limit. Like 
I've had things that have been like one inch over, like uh-huh. for a large thing. And then, yeah, it's a difference yeah. between like $20 and $60. And it's yeah, no, it's true. I've gone through fun. this with microphones, shipping them around to guests and like definitely mm-hmm. had to make some changes early on where I was like $50. That's like how much the microphone cost, you know? Yeah. So I, I get that. The other thing, I mean, this is not really an option on Etsy that I'm aware of, but like definitely a part of Poshmark, Mercari, eBay, basically all the other secondhand platforms is making offers. Yeah. So um, there's a whole, I feel like, etiquette around this on Depop. So basically people find it very annoying when you – like when people like your item, if you message them and like give them an offer or say, you know, whatever, that's really annoying to people. Because also I think Depop is a bit more like – browsy and like pinteresty like i'm gonna like collect mm-hmm. things that i like and i'm inspired by but it doesn't necessarily mean i'm gonna purchase it that um, makes sense yeah so or even just like deciding things i feel like people just want to like look and enjoy their time and when people like pressure you or like my whole shop's 30 off um like it just seems very pushy so um People will message me for offers. Um, I also do just like uh, a general blanket offer. Like uh, if you follow us on Instagram, you get 10% off. So I have that in my description. So I kind of have like, let's say something is $24. It's $24 shipped. I have that in my description. After that, I say, um, you know, if you follow us on Instagram, you get 10% off. So I kind of give people an option to have an offer right in my description and people will message me follow me and then I'll mark it down for them put it on hold and do things that way mm-hmm. um but yeah there's not really a great efficient system to like send people offers without being annoying which is kind of just a bummer but that's just how it is <laughs> I mean I have I have such mixed feelings about offers Mm-hmm. Like both as a customer and a seller, like on Poshmark mm-hmm. specifically. Uh, and I'm obviously not a professional Poshmarker. I'm just trying to like, you know, get stuff out of my life. And yeah. uh, I would list something for like, you know, it, w- it would seriously be something that I listed for like 20 bucks because I was like, I'm not trying yeah. to get rich. I just want to get rid of this. This is a thing that was like $100 and I wore once because mm-hmm. I definitely used to have like a fast fashion addiction. And mm-hmm. people would be like, offer me five dollars and I'd be like wait but why this was twenty dollars like that's like honestly that was like one of the like tips that I had thought of before our conversation like if you're gonna sell things online specifically seriously sell things online like have a system in place for situations like that because if you don't it's draining and like Mm -hmm. um it's just like (laughs) I don't know like it makes you feel sad if you don't like oh like you're not valuing what I'm trying to offer so like anyone who says that if people lowball me blah 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 I message back we'll give you 10% off if you follow us on Instagram that's my (laughs) offer like that's so smart sometimes if it's like okay this has been in my shop for months and months and I just want it out. I'll be like we usually do 10% off if you follow us on Instagram but like in this which is normally this price, but for this item, this time, I can go down to blank um, to kind of meet them halfway if they're lowballing me. But I have that. If not, if they say 
no, I want it for $5, then guess what? Like, they're not a customer. They're, like, not a real customer. They're, like, not shopping in a, like, respectful way. And they were never going to buy that thing from you. Um, I agree. I agree. I I feel like – I mean, I've been – you know, this is the week of – vegan leather gate at close horse Mm -hmm. and i have been talking about like weird subtle trolling behaviors that i see online for weeks with various friends Mm -hmm. of mine who've had a lot of weird experiences but i do think that there is this weird not every some people are just a bargain shopper some people might not have very good they can't read the room perhaps to that effect honestly like i can a lot of times ahead of time tell if someone's gonna give me like not necessarily a bad review but it's gonna give me like a four-star review for no reason just like they didn't like it or they're gonna complain about somewhere that I um included in the description and I know like and I've done it before I'll be like okay like I'll give you this cost like whatever like this is my discount and I'm like they're probably gonna give me a bad review and they do Every time. Like, I know because it's a certain energy that they have and they're just not going to be – they're not going to be cool about anything. And, that like, it's easier just to be like, no. (laughs) No, this is my price. Yeah. No, I I get that. I think that's so interesting that you can spot that in advance. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's been a couple times. I'm like, I knew knew they were going to have some weird review. Like, I knew it. I felt it. It was a weird, pushy energy. They're just not Mm going to be happy with whatever you give them. So Totally. Yeah. It's okay to just tell people, no, this is my (laughs) price. Nope. I mean, I think that that obviously that's like amazing life advice. And I think that more and more of us are starting to learn that or try to practice that, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a woman. Like, you have kind of been taught your whole life to just like be a pleaser you know, yeah. go with the flow. Don't offend anybody by saying no. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I, that's like a f- big part of the whole like incel culture is like they don't really feel like women should be allowed to say no to them or friend zone them yeah. or whatever. And I think that there's a lot of angst that sometimes can come out of selling secondhand because you feel like you can't just be like, no, sorry, like this is not up for debate. And you, you wouldn't – I wouldn't – I would hope you wouldn't, like, go to work and let people be like – your boss be like, hey, so I'm only going to give you a quarter of your paycheck this week, <laughs> you know, I yeah. hope. Uh, and so yeah. I think I think that that is a really good way to look at it. So let's talk about reviews because this is another thing mm-hmm. that seems to be a pain point for just about anyone who sells on just about any platform to mm-hmm. a different extent. And I – was like a really early adopter of eBay. Like in college, mm-hmm. I was obsessed with eBay. I would buy most of my stuff on eBay. Yeah, and, eBay is really uh, fun. It and was I've really into it over the pandemic. Yeah. Oh my god, I had like kind of moved away from eBay, but my husband has been going strong, and we are definitely way back into it because I'm always looking for really weird, you know, like cake decorating books and like you know, yeah. just faux fruit and whatnot. Like whatever. Yeah, I just, weird stuff I'm working on. <laughs> I just bought. Uh, like a vintage wooden Barbie bunk bed for my cats. <gasps> I need to put it together, but like, oh my gosh. I'm really excited about it. Like stupid stuff like that. Like, do you need bunk beds for your cats that are sisters? Because that's the cutest thing you've ever um, heard of. Yeah, you eBay. do. And I, it's so funny that you would mention that because I had been uh, looking at like 
what I think maybe was like an American Girl doll bed or like a knockoff yes. American Girl doll bed specifically for Brenda. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> do it. This is your sign that you should absolutely do that. <laughs> Clearly. So, I can't. I was like, yeah. I can't believe you're bringing this up because it's like yes. something that I've been thinking about. Anyway. Yeah, and I got like 70 <laughs> sheets to go with it. I'm going to try to like make a comforter. Oh. I don't really know how to sew that well, but this I is can't my wait project. To see this. So. I, yes, I support this project. <laughs> So, like, one thing, like, that has changed a lot about eBay is, like, in the Mm -hmm. early days of eBay, you – not only would, you know, the seller be reviewed, so would Mm -hmm. the buyer. And that Mm -hmm. was really important. I mean, obviously, it was, like, a different time because, like, in the early days – you could use PayPal, but like PayPal wasn't widely available. And so a lot of mm-hmm. people would mail a money order or a check, which gotcha. to think about buying stuff online that way is like so <laughs> hilarious to me now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that you know, that's rough. how it would be. And so mm-hmm. you could be, as a seller, you couldn't be an asshole because mm-hmm. it was going to come back to haunt you. And like, obviously that's gone now. And it's just like this one way review street. But I mean, we see a lot of, shitty stuff like bad behavior i mean do you follow that account small biz memes i don't but i i do follow like (laughs) depop drama and like have seen Uh, stuff that's probably similar yeah it's all just like people really punishing sellers without like no surprise to you probably hear this but with all the postage drama that's been going on Mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with anyone who's selling anything it is so out of their control i cannot reiterate this enough uh People are like, I I don't know what world these reviewers and customers live in because Mm -hmm. like I thought we all knew that everything was wild and has been for a while. But these people are like harassing sellers because their stuff hasn't arrived and like threatening them and leaving them bad reviews all because of the shipping. And on Etsy, I know that that can really affect where you land in the algorithm. So your stuff might be pushed down to the bottom. And obviously Etsy is just this like – mountain of stuff to wade through anyway so that's really problematic Mm -hmm. do bad reviews on depop affect you the same way okay so there's like a couple things on that so you have like an overall score like an average um which is actually only the last 20 of your reviews so like interesting one really bad review like if you sell a couple more things and get more reviews, like it isn't really going to make or break you. Um, and you can also reach out to like the Depop support team and have them take down a review. Um, mm. I haven't done this before, mostly because like I honestly don't care that much. And like if I have one four, like three or four star review that someone is just like, it didn't fit me. Like I just don't feel like Unless someone's like, she scammed me. She's the worst. Like, unless it's like a totally false, like, whatever. Like, it'll go down, down the list. Like, I know some people are really, really, like, like, obsessed with it. Or like, if there's like a four star review, people are like, I need to get it taken down. Which like, I don't, I just don't feel that that strongly about it. Especially like, if on the front of my page, it still looks like I have five stars. Like, every other one of my reviews is like, glowing. And hopefully like one it didn't fit me review isn't gonna stop people from trusting me oh Um, I don't think so who even I so don't even look at that stuff I guess if I saw the person had like one star I would be like okay I better check out these reviews but yeah so like 
I and I know people get really upset about it. So that's another thing as a seller. Like if you get one one bad review or one review, like if it is a it didn't fit me, I'm going to complain about the where that you noted in the description and I just didn't read it. Um, or like, you know, if, if it's that kind of review, review, just like don't take it personally. It'll get bumped down after 20 more reviews. Like it's not even going to be incorporated into your average. So like it's cool. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um (laughs) but if it is something really weird you can ask them to remove it if it's unfair and is there any other advice that you have for depop sellers um yes okay so along the lines of the reviews um Mm -hmm. i would especially with shipping things and like i mean i'm in texas so i had a nightmare situation on my hands this past week so i was (laughs) not able to ship in a timely manner. So uh, being really proactive with your communication. Um, and if people, if you know you're not going to be able to ship for a couple days or you know things are going are just slow in the system, reach out to people beforehand and start a line of communication. Or if people mm-hmm. are worried about their order, give them a timeline. So say like in December, everything was crazy. Everything was taking a long time. Um, I would tell people like, okay, things are just really slow. Um, it's probably like I can tell you that it's on its way to you. Let's if you still haven't gotten your thing by Friday, message me and like I'll help you figure out where it is. And that kind of like buys you more time. And they're like mm-hmm, waiting for a specific smart. day. And yeah. then like at that day, you could be like, it's in Oklahoma. Like, it's moving slowly but surely towards you. Like, let's check in again on Tuesday um, and just, like, really talk to people. Like, I I I'm honestly feel really lucky. Like, all my customers were so understanding um, and have been in different various situations. Um, and I feel like just if you're really nice and, like, explain the situation and are, like, very present, people are generally pretty cool. Even if they come at you like, where's my thing? And you're like it's on its way. It's here. Look, like they're usually like, oh, cool. Like they just want to know where their stuff is. Um, yeah, yeah. But like that's with anything. Just be like really present and like kind. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like that's um, that's a big tip. Again, that just like it that avoids so much like energy loss in the future for like crazy mm-hmm. situations. Um, but yeah, definitely just like good customer service. Be nice. Um, taking good photos is a really big thing, which I mentioned before. One other thing that I would say, um, which I, I know a lot of people get really stressed out about is just like plan for fluctuations in sales. Um, sales are absolutely not steady, um, mm, which is yeah. like, it's fine. And like, it's kind of to be expect- expected, especially in like the crazy world that we're living in. Um, like I feel like the past like month and a half have been really slow, but I'm starting to see things pick up a little bit, but like. I mean, but everything's a nightmare. So I'm like, <laughs> if you don't have time to <laughs> shop on Depop, like, I'm, whatever. I, it's, it's like fine. I get it, right? <laughs> <laughs> like we're on a, a new crisis every Wednesday. So um, yeah. I'll, I get it. Um, but like if you want to do this full time, I would suggest like having a part time job at least um, or something that you can like know you can pay rent and cover your basic expenses. So just so you're not absolutely stressed out of your mind if there's like a week that's really slow because also i feel like yeah 
sometimes after the slowest weeks, like the next week is absolutely popping. So like <laughs> it just is, you know, it, it kind of I feel it balances out. But just like if you're doing this, like know that that's going to happen and set that expectation. This isn't specifically a way to succeed on Depop, but I'm really passionate about it, um, is a way that I found to cut down on costs is to use all recycled mailers. And I've been posting in my uh, like local buy nothing group on Facebook and collecting people's like the mailers that people have saved up, um, which is eco-friendly. It's a good way to kind of like get to know people in your neighborhood. And yeah, I just love the eco-friendliness and also that it is um, it just cuts down one more expense for your shop. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of a tip. I know people are always like, where can I get eco-friendly packaging? That's not, not expensive. And I'm like, oh my goodness. It I just ask people. Um, yeah. Cause you can't I mean, recycle that stuff. Yeah. I think it's so smart. I, so one of my pet peeves is that Poshmark has really normalized the idea of like brand new fancy packaging and even, yeah. and why are they normalizing that? Because now they're selling it. Can you believe that? Mm, I mean, yeah. of course you can believe that, right? And so I, yes. I mean, why wouldn't you ship something in a box or mailer that you've already used, right? Like I exclusively yeah. do that and I refuse to change. But mm-hmm. someone gave me like kind of shitty feedback about that. Really? They were like, yeah, I got that dress and it was in a box that once held something else. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, for, That's obviously. That's so annoying. I know. Yeah. I know. Because like I, I don't like that at all. <laughs> Yeah, because, uh, like, honestly – because, like, I, I'll use, like, everyone in my neighborhood's Amazon mailers, um, and then, like, I got some – just, like, a big, huge thing of white tissue pe- paper from Eco and Clothes. So I'll still, like, wrap my package up and include a little note. So, like, branding-wise, it's still relatively consistent, but I'm just, like, the bulk of the packaging is reused. So I try to, like, strike a balance. But yeah, it really bothers me that like there's all this new packaging and like the unboxing culture and everything has led to like everything needs to be like ultra cute, um, which is, I mean, a lot of weight on the seller to like buy all that stuff. Um, and also it's not good for the environment. So that's what I do. If you want f- completely free packaging, just buy nothing group or just like have your family members and friends save them. And yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. And there's no shortage of it. No. Like, literally, there's three people that I've collected from and, like, hundreds of mailers. Like, it's so many. (laughs) Like, it's so many. Like, truly, there's no shortage. Like, I want to, like, find more small businesses and just, like, give them so many mailers Uh, because truly so many of them. I mean, um, I, I love this. Please, can we just like normalize <laughs> reusing packaging because yes. it drives me crazy. And I think if more and more people just did it, then no one would bat an eyelash at it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, like to be honest, I wish I could order something from like Sephora or something and it would come in a reused box. Like I do not care. Yeah. Yeah. Neither do I. And I honestly have gotten good reviews from that. People saying like, like oh reuse packaging like eco-friendly like I get those reviews as well that's definitely something I'd recommend even though like it's probably not gonna help you succeed on Depop but like again (laughs) I just feel like it's a good way for you to make more money and it's great you were talking about fees on Depop I don't know if you want Mm -hmm. me to um break down that because that's definitely like a good thing to understand like what the deal is before you start selling just so you can include it in your like 
how you price things and whatnot. Um, so basically, there's a 10% fee uh, for Depop off any sale. You don't have to pay to list anything, which is nice, which is the case on Etsy. Um, so there's that 10% fee, which honestly, I kind of think a bit about it a little bit as like a marketing cost since they put my stuff on the Explore page a good bit mm-hmm. and like get me in front of people. So uh, there's that 10% fee and then there's either a transaction fee for a credit card or for PayPal, which is 2.9% plus 30 cents. None of this is terrible to me because I feel like, for example, Poshmark, I feel like is roughly mm-hmm. 20 to 25%. Really? Um, okay. And that is wild. Yeah. And I can say yeah, that because I yeah. recently sold something that was $100 and I got 70 something dollars of it. So that is not like a number Dang. I'm pulling out of the air. Yeah. Yeah. So like, again, like I feel like, you know, people might think 10% is steep. Like it gives you a place to host your shop. And again, like if you can get on the explore page and stuff, it also like feeds into marketing. So like it is a chunk of money, but I personally feel like it's worth it. Another thing to keep in mind is the amount that's taken out may look weird because they've started charging sales tax in certain states. So Mm. that is collected in addition from the buyer. So it will look like you got more money into your, into your PayPal or like it's like a higher dollar amount and then like it's taken out. So that's just something to keep an eye out for if you're confused about the math. And then also there are a couple different methods of shipping on Depop. So you can like ship with Depop and then if you opt to cover the shipping, then that amount is also taken out of what you get. So, um, you know, it just really depends on how you set things up with the shipping and how fees are associated with that or how that affects the money that you actually receive at the end of the day. But that's basically the breakdown, the 10% plus the 2.9% plus 30 cents, which is like just general credit card stuff. Sometimes it looks funky, but if you sit down and do the math, like it all works out. I might be wrong there here, so you can correct me. When you sell on Depop, you can kind of use any shipping service you want, right? Like you could take it to the post office. Mm -hmm. A lot of people use pirate ship. Uh, Whereas with Poshmark and some of the other platforms, you are actually like locked in Mm. to using their shipping service, which is expensive. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's another benefit of selling on Depop. Do you think – this is another uh-huh. thing that Haley brought up in our convo. Do you think there is sort of like a generational aesthetic difference between Depop and the other platforms? Probably. Like honestly, I don't really like shopping on like other platforms like Poshmark and Mercari for myself unless I'm looking for like an extremely specific thing. Um, like a specific brand and a specific mm-hmm, size mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but I mean, I personally really like the aesthetic of Depop and like Depop really discourages using stock photos and stuff um, and really encourages mm-hmm. people to model things. So I feel like overall, the pictures are better quality and give you a better sense of like the specific item that you're buying. So. I mm-hmm. I personally prefer it. I mean, I think it's yeah, cooler. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it's just like for me it's just more enjoyable and it like it's more likely that I'm just going to sit down and like scroll through things or like search different things and 
spend more time on it. But like, again, super personal uh, opinion. I definitely think Depop does, though, uh, aim to be very visually pleasing. Oh, definitely. Definitely. There's such a difference. I also feel like there's a lot more like, I don't know, like style inspiration to be found for sure. I mean, I rarely buy anything off of Poshmark because I just – there's like 99% of what is listed on there is just not appealing mm-hmm. to me and it's also not really the ideal place to go if specifically you're looking for vintage. I feel like it's a lot more brand-focused. Yeah. Uh, whereas like if you're just like I am more of an aesthetic person, less of a brand person mm-hmm. – Depop feels better to me. Yeah, and I one thing I really do love about Depop is I feel like it is really about styling and about just like reimagining how any article of clothing can be worn, which I think is great, um, especially since going mm-hmm. to a thrift shop or going certain places is sometimes super overwhelming or it's just hard to know sometimes like how a certain piece would translate to real life or maybe something is like frumpy or just like, isn't really stylish but then people on depop make it stylish or like give you like oh okay i get how that would be worn and i think that adds a lot of value i love the idea of getting away from brands getting away from Mm -hmm. like any particular things that we like assigned value to for clothes or trendiness to clothes in the past and then just like being able to appreciate everything or be able to make things work in a cool way yes Yes, I agree. I think it it really inspires a lot more like individual style mm-hmm. and creativity and innovation, which has always been far more interesting to me. Agreed. Thanks again to Elise for sharing all of her expertise with us. I learned so much. And I'm obsessed with her idea of reusing mailers. I mean, remember in the last episode, I was talking about how challenging it is to find truly compostable and biodegradable mailers. And I was messaging earlier today with Laura of Shop Journal about how just like impossible and tricky it is. So this is such a great piece of advice. You know what? We need to normalize reusing packaging. I hate that so much of it is wasted. And when you think about it, even more of it has been wasted during the pandemic with everyone shopping online. Let's reuse it. Let's not make it seem like, I don't know, right now it's sort of stigmatized. Like you, I don't know, why is it stigmatized? We got to undo that, right? And the best way to do that is by sharing this idea with everyone and practicing it ourselves. So Save those mailers and all those little boxes for sending out gifts or shipping out your secondhand sales. Okay, I have one last conversation to share today, and it's with Amy of the Velvet Underground. She's calling in from Whistler, British Columbia, and she's here to tell you that running a business isn't always fun and easy. It's also stressful, it's scary, and you're constantly kind of learning via survival. So let's meet Amy. My name's Amy and I own the Velvet Underground in Whistler and my clothing brand HMU Apparel. Velvet Underground is a vintage store and a cafe. It's a it was a plant-based cafe. Now it's more of just a coffee bar because we had to scale back and 
my clothing brand is it's sort of kind of I guess ticking away on the it's on the back burner I kind of make things every now and then but it's not Mm -hmm. as functioning I guess as it used to be but that's kind (laughs) of that was the first business that I owned so yeah I guess I'll give you some backstory I guess on how it all started yeah yeah, because I, uh, you know, when I was putting together the brand directory, I like Googled your address to add the link. And then I was like, oh, okay, so this is where it is, you know, and you've got a lot going on there, you know. Like, oh, yeah, too much. <laughs> to just have a vintage store would be a lot. To just have a coffee bar would be a lot. To have both is a lot, you know. Yeah, I have like a really bad, um, a really big problem with just trying to do everything at the same time. <laughs> I hear you. I have the same problem. I bet a ton of people who are listening are nodding their heads right now and they're like, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's really (laughs) hard. So I guess pretty much like I started out just doing the clothes, like the clothing brand and I started making hoodies, like snowboarding hoodies um, in my big, big share house and I was just making them out of my bedroom. It was, you know, pretty grassroots and I was selling them to all my housemates. I was living in like a 15-person share house. So it was pretty easy. I had another job, so I had low overheads. And, um, yeah, it was really fun. It just kind of grew organically. And then as I got older, I sort of thought, well, I think it's, you know, I'm not getting any younger. Maybe I should make this into a real business. So (laughs) I decided, um, yeah, it's time to get like a commercial space and, I went and got um, I went and got another job at like a fishing lodge to try and save up a little bit extra money because I thought I needed more money and I was totally right. So I did that mm-hmm. and then kind of started researching how I was going to do it all. And I had no like formal. I I used to be a chef, so I don't actually have. I just taught myself how to sew, so I have no idea how to sew professionally. <laughs> but I was like yeah I can do this like think sometimes when you don't know it's like easier because you don't know what you're getting yourself into I agree I agree it's really words have never been spoken yeah I think so often you're like when you know all the hurdles you don't you don't get into it but I didn't know so I was like this will be fine like sure I can have my own clothing brand So at that stage, I was just cutting everything with like a little, you know, fabric pizza cutter, you know, a couple of stacks of fabric at a time. But like the next step up was, um, you know, either buying machinery, which I didn't know how to use. And I was like, oh, it's really expensive, which is actually way cheaper than what I ended up doing. And that was getting it cut in a factory. And then in order to get it cut in a factory, you need like huge quantities and then you need like professional patterns and all this stuff. So Mm -hmm. I went from like pretty small to buying, like spending $20,000 on fabric and patterns. And then I got some things cut and sewn in Vancouver. And then I was sewing the hoodies myself. I just got those cut. But yeah, it was like so scary. I just invested so much money. And, you know, um, you know, most of the people listening that are in, you know, have a fashion background will know, like, if you get those if you stuff up the order of what they're cutting, like I would have just completely thrown away that $20,000. Like now I look back and I'm just thinking that was so stupid, but I was really lucky. This is how you learn, you know? So lucky that I didn't have, that didn't happen and I could still use it. But 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, threw myself into the deep end and then um, I got a commercial space, a really um, tiny little sewing studio that was really cool. And shortly after I moved into that space, uh, there was a guy next door, this old German guy, and he had a one-bedroom apartment and a warehouse un- underneath that space. And he kept started chatting to me and was like, oh, I really want to retire. You should expand your business. This warehouse would be perfect. And I was thinking, well, I don't want his kitchen cleaning business, but the space would be pretty cool. So I kind mm-hmm. of just latched onto it. And yeah, even before, you know, before I'd really even tested out if my business was going to work, I really got that in my head that I wanted this extra space. So anyway, meanwhile, I'm like sewing and prepping for this huge market that I thought was going to be like my big debut and it was going to be really good. And, um, then I did the market and I thought I was going to sell about 60 hoodies and I sold six hoodies and I was just like, Oh shit. So I was, yeah, I know. I was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't do any market research and I guess I massively missed the mark. And I thought it would just be like it was when I was at the big house and it wasn't. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, I, um, at that stage, I started opening my little sewing studio as um, a storefront and selling vintage on the side just to get some revenue in. And that's kind of where my next business, Velvet Underground, started. So, uh-huh. um, and then shortly after that, the landlord messaged me or emailed me and said, Oh, yeah, that warehouse space that you really wanted, um, it's all yours if you want it. <laughs> and I'm just like, Yeah. Oh my gosh realistically like my logical brain is like don't um don't take that like you don't need a more expensive lease your business is already not going that well Uh uh-huh but I just you know your intuition (laughs) sometimes is like no you gotta you've got to do it so I took it and um one of my friends started helping me with vintage and we decided it would also be a great idea to open a cafe because that would be a really cool business as well which is pretty stupid. So I think a lot of my business challenges are partly like, well, they're definitely (laughs) self-imposed. But yeah, so next minute I'm signing the lease, I'm getting another business loan, building permits. And then five to six months later, I have a cafe, a vintage store and a clothing brand. And and after probably about a month in, it was like pretty apparent that it wasn't going to be anywhere near as busy as I thought. And then not long after that, I had a falling out with this friend that was helping me. And then I had three struggling businesses. We were open seven days a week. Oof. And, um, yeah. you know, and I was all by myself. So it was like pretty stressful. But, you know, we just started, I had five staff and we just started hustling. We were open, you know, just kept opening more and more hours to try and make it work. We would do live music where uh, once a week we would pretty much gut the store, get a liquor license, get a band in and just, um, yeah, host these like live music shows and we'd go down to Texas and try and get better vintage. We had a website, like we were trying to do everything we could to make it work. And I think, you know, from the outside looking in, it probably looked like we were doing pretty good, but Mm -hmm. in reality, it was like going so bad. We were spending so much more money than we were making. And I was so busy that I couldn't even like, you know, come up for air and like figure that out. So um, by the time COVID hit, it was 
really bad. I had literally no money in the bank at all. And then we were all forced to close down and whatever. So, you know, I asked a few friends, business friends for advice. And one of them, my now business advisor said, you've got to jump on IGTV right now and, you know, ask, ask your community for help and tell them what's going on. And one of my other friends was like, no, whatever you do, don't tell people how bad it is because nobody wants to support a struggling business. And that just didn't feel right to me. I agree. That doesn't feel right to me either. No, I think it's exhausting trying to pretend it's something that it's not, especially yeah. when it's going bad as well. Yeah, no, 100% agree. We need more of that. We need more honesty. I think so. A hundred percent. Cause I think now more than ever, like we're so isolated. So everybody's looking at everybody's lives through the lens of social media and it creates such a distorted perception of reality mm-hmm. and, you know, unrealistic expectations of what your experience should feel like and should be like. And, you know, I think that's what creates so much disappointment and sadness, depression, loneliness, all the things. And I'm like, I'm not about to promote that through my business. Mm-hmm. So pretty much from then on, I've really tried to keep it as open and honest as possible. And when I did uh, reach out to my, you know, my customers, my community, I got one of our customers donated us a bunch of money and it pretty much paid for the rent at least the first month. That's amazing. So that pretty much kept us going. And then since then, you know, I've really lent into that, you know, like honesty, I guess, model. And Mm -hmm. it's been such a game changer everybody's always you know when we say that we really need support people come out and you know they try and help us and support us as much as they can um but yeah it's been you know COVID is obviously it's been tough for a lot of businesses but um yeah it was it's been a long road and now finally I've just had to scale back again because yeah it's just been really quiet in up here in Whistler we we didn't get locked down recently, but it got we just got absolutely slammed with COVID because I think it's such a small community. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we weren't getting a lot of people, and not that I know of or heard of anyway, we weren't getting a lot of people that were like seriously ill, but everybody was sick. So everybody had to isolate and then everybody uh, was out of work and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So like at one stage, I think I knew about like 15 to 20 people with COVID. Wow. That is pretty wild yeah. for a small town, you know? In Whistler, everybody lives in these big share houses. There's like yeah. 20 people in a house. I mean, what do you do? Sorry. You know? I know. Yeah. I mean, and stuff housing. <sighs> so it just goes through like wildfire. Yeah. You know, there's got to be some light at the end of the tunnel at this point for you. Like, if you can keep going just a little bit longer, things will be okay. But I know it's, it's super hard. It is. It is. It is really hard. But like, I think. You know, sometimes you have to take one step back to take two steps forward. I'm such a big believer of that. Mm-hmm. So I just yes, agreed. scaled it back to just me now, but we'll just open less. And I'm really lucky that I have a website and things like that. So, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of, I'm lucky that I don't, in Whistler, the rent is insane. Like I think some businesses in the village pay, you know, like, twenty thousand dollars I don't know that seems insane for me twenty to fifty thousand dollars a month stop I know it's what? it's crazy but I'm really lucky I'm in like an industrial estate so mine is a lot more chill so it's gonna be you know I don't have to 
it's more manageable to try and make that is just one person. But if you have like $20,000 rent, you just, you can't. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I mean, I have so many friends who have had to close their business or like greatly modify it. And, you know, I, I think it, I think it's really important to be honest about what's going on. And it's like you said, we're more reliant than ever on like connecting with one another on social media. So when you see what seems to be everybody else having a great time, it's really bad for your mental health when you're struggling. And I can say that like I have had a really hard time (laughs) since the pandemic began, you know, like I lost my job almost immediately, you know, and I for a long time felt like I needed to hide that because I think there's so much shame attached to having a hard time, you know, or you like briefly mention it and people come at you with like toxic positivity which is almost worse yes so true where it's like don't worry everything will be fine you'll be glad this happened it's all gonna work out for the best and you're like what you don't know what you're talking about at all <laughs> I know right <laughs> but like you telling your yeah. story has like made me so much more like want to support you so much more because you know <laughs> well, I definitely <laughs> that's why it pretty much that was a hundred percent of the reason why it pushed me to support you on Patreon because I think there's so many podcasters and things that are always like asking you know they want people to support them on Patreon but if I know that podcaster is doing really well like I'm not like if that's kind of bad because I still might appreciate their um, content <laughs> but I am definitely like not as inclined to to you know pull out my wallet and support them because I don't feel like they need it as much but if I know somebody really needs my help I'm like 100% I'll do everything I can to support the underdog and that's how I feel too that's why I feel like if your business is struggling and you know you are a part of a community the best thing you can do is be really straightforward about it also because I feel like, especially when we talk about like small businesses and like being an entrepreneur, I feel like that area especially like falls falls prey to a lot of this like toxic positivity business spin where it's like, you know, like you can listen to episodes of How I Built That or yeah. How I Built This, whatever, entrepreneur show. And you're like, oh, it seems like everybody who starts a business, it just like goes fine. hundred percent. Right. So yeah. I should just go start a business too. Or also like – I think it's really important for us as customers of all of these small businesses to understand that there are people behind yeah. that purchase who rely on it. You know, yeah. like I know if I don't go shopping at Amazon, it's no big deal to anyone, but like my friend's business, it's going to make a difference, you know? And so I think we need to be upfront about what it is to to start your own business sometimes it sucks. Yeah, 100%. You know. I think more businesses need to talk about it because, you know, sometimes you can just get so disconnected about like what's got where your stuff comes from and who's behind it and like I think um yeah, it's just if more people spoke about it then customers would really feel like they're, you know, making a difference when they shop at, you know, small business rather than Amazon because you know, you're not just one in a billion purchases that day. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think the more we can talk about that and constantly thinking about that, because I think so much of the, like the media that exists around starting a business is like falsely positive. It gives this false narrative that like, it's a really 
cool, fun ride. And don't worry if th- something doesn't work out because something else will, because that's just not true. Yeah. It's you know, really not. businesses go out of business all the time. But we hear stories of how someone, you know, like I remember listening to the Eileen Fisher episode of How I Built This. And I was like, wow, like she didn't even like really want to start a business. And she just like did. And now she's really successful. I guess that means anyone can do it. And it's like really easy. And yeah. we know that's not true. So, yeah, there's so <laughs> many stories like that. And it's like those stories, of those success stories are everywhere over the internet. And those in reality, mm-hmm. those are the unicorns. Like, that's just not what it's like at all. <laughs> I know. We never hear the story of it was really hard. Now I work 24 hours a day because I don't have anyone else to help me and I can't afford it, you know, or like I'm afraid I'm going to close down or so true. I don't know what Canada is doing to help small businesses in the pandemic. It's been kind of a shit show here in the U.S. where a lot of people were hoping to get these government loans that were sort of gobbled up by like large companies. It's been just a disaster. Yeah. And so like, I want to hear more people talk about that because I barely hear that. And I feel like that also sends a false narrative to like the average American. Like, don't worry, our taxpayer money is protecting all these small businesses. So we don't even need to shop with them. We can keep going to Amazon. And it's like, no, 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 like that's not real either. But I think we're all like, to I don't know maybe it's like a pride thing I'm not sure but you'd like don't want to tell people when things suck totally well one of the friend that said I shouldn't talk about it I think she was kind of like saying more that it's like very like brand damaging and I think I hate that thing about brand damaging oh I hate that phrase I'm like (laughs) I know me too I'm all about like using the business as a platform to educate and inspire and promote whatever I believe in. And if that is being real with business or, you know, making people, I don't know, learn about sustainability or whatever it is, or like anything that's even like, you know, political things. So many businesses don't talk about stuff because they're too scared about what people might think. And I'm like, no, I'm totally against that. Yeah, that's how I feel too. Like if someone doesn't like my politics, then why are they listening to my podcast? Like it's fine, you know? I don't need to please everyone by walking the line and I feel like so many businesses feel like they need to. But I would also say every time I see a a small like business take a political stance – yeah, they have people on Instagram blowing them up and being jerks and maybe they will never shop there again, but they have like 10 times as many people showing up to be like, you're my new favorite place to shop. A hundred percent. so I think – I hate this idea that if you are a business, you shouldn't take a stand on things. I, I would love to see that go away. Yeah, uh, me too. I think um, I've got a couple of business friends that are sort of like the same as – same as me and they're just all about using their business for social impact and I think more businesses should do that because you have such a bigger voice using you know a business platform you reach so many more people than just an individual Mm -hmm. so I think it's totally that's that's how I feel too I think that there needs to be more of that because the right people will will be your customer you know yeah I, I think it's a good thing I mean I look at businesses that like really try hard to like be neither here nor there and I'm like yeah your company kind of sucks yeah fence like <laughs> I hate a, I think exactly exactly whether it's on your personal feed or on your business um I think the larger audience you have unfortunately the larger kind of responsibility you have to like 
I don't know. I just feel like we all we all are influencers to the people around us. So and true. so we should we should be real yeah. about what's going on. I think I I've been thinking about this a lot lately, how like we're kind of like the first generation of people to be obsessed with this idea of like a personal brand. Like yeah. I remember the first time I heard someone say that, like oh, they were gonna post something on Instagram. They're like, mm, I don't know if it's in line with my personal brand. And I was like, <laughs> You're not even an influencer. But I realized I was like, we're all doing this. I dated yeah. a guy a long time ago who would edit his like Facebook feed constantly, like taking stuff off that he didn't think was as funny as he thought it was originally. And I was like, this is so weird. (laughs) Like you, I think this means you have like some, like you're a narcissist or something. And uh, not that I want to throw that term around lately, (laughs) but uh, I feel like we have all become so obsessed with what our like our social media face is because that's kind of, especially now during the pandemic, that's all we have. And I, I think it's making everybody so much less sincere. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, there's, I think there's like in some parts of, um, you know, people's lives, people are getting more and more like trying to, you know, talk about mental health and things like that more and more, which is really good. But there's so much, such a long way to go. And I think with business, especially, it's still definitely not there. Like, not many people talk about the really hard times. Yeah, it's really stressful. Yeah, it's really stressful. If you think that your job is stressful, running your own business is like twenty times more stressful. Yeah, because it's so uncertain, and you feel like all the responsibility is on you. Yeah, like when you have staff as well. Yeah, it's so, it's so heartbreaking to try and you always want to do the right thing. Well, at least I think I do. Um, want to do the right thing by them, and like that weighs so heavily on every decision that you know, mm-hmm. I've ever made in business. And yeah, it's really, really hard. So what else are you up to as you kind of wait for, I hate to say this term, this isn't real, what life going back to normal, or at least <laughs> the pandemic ending, let's say that. Yeah. Um. So right now I'm kind of, we are really lucky actually in Canada because the government d- has given us some like pretty decent support I would say Uh, a lot of the support though like wage subsidies things like that have really relied on how your original sales and because we were doing so badly before the pandemic it kind of stitched us up a little bit so we didn't get as much support but like definitely I think we're definitely getting a lot more than what you you guys are all getting in the U.S. so I'm thankful (laughs) for that (laughs) but yeah I'm pretty much just gonna I'm gonna scale it back to just two days a week open in the store and um yeah hopefully I can I don't know maybe I can rent the space out a little bit as well on top of doing you know all the other thing and all the other you know like my clothes clothing brand and the vintage and all that stuff and I guess I'll just be working my butt off trying to make make sure I can pay rent and yeah see what happens I've I'm really lucky there's been a lot of people come into the store and you know just offer their help as like volunteers and stuff like that so you know and a few friends have been helping me and yeah I think I really want the the website to just you know take off because I think that is you know long the long-term benefits of having an online presence are just so much mm-hmm. more steady because in Whistler it's such a seasonal town. So relying on, you know, 
local um like local traffic and whatever money is coming into the town is not that safe of a bet (laughs) no no yeah it gets uh it dries up pretty quickly when people don't have work then nobody's shopping yeah yeah no online is definitely the way to go to at least cover cover yourself you know and reach more people you know totally and I love that you can um online you can make money while you sleep like it's such a cool (laughs) feeling waking up and you're like you've sold something and you're just like wow, this is awesome. I was asleep while that happened. <laughs> <laughs> like that must be what it feels like to be Jeff Bezos or something. Oh you know? my gosh, yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> raking it in. Yeah, I mean, for certainly raking it in. But, you know, it has a website. So there you go. Uh, yeah. I do think it's like, there. you know, working in the industry, there's always – there's always so much speculation and so many like think pieces and weird seminars and stuff you can go to where people talk about like, is, is in-person retail dad is e-commerce the future? You know, everybody's got something to say about it. It's all really boring. And Mm. the reality is that like, I guess the future is having both because it kind of, it pandemic proofs you for one, but also means you can like meet new customers, but then you're going to like get people coming to Whistler just to come to your store. And that is really cool. Like that's the goal really. Yeah. And especially because it is such, um, you know, we have such a global um, customer base, I guess, or I don't know, people from all over the world are coming to Whistler anyway. So if they find out about you, you know, from Instagram or your website or whatever from back in their home country and then they get to come to Whistler, they'll definitely come and visit us, hopefully. (laughs) They will totally. I have a special Google map that is like all the stores that I've ever seen online that I want to go see in person, like if I'm in that area. Oh, that's a great idea. I'm so, so glad that we could chat today and I'm really looking forward to chatting again one day hopefully yeah I know hopefully sooner than later but anytime you want to (laughs) chat just holler and I'll we'll we'll do it it was so nice to talk to you I'm so glad Amy took the time to talk about all of this with me and I can't wait till I get to meet her IRL in fact I can't wait until I meet all of you You know, getting to know all of you has been the highlight of the last year for me. So many amazing, talented people that I never would have met if I hadn't lost my job and started a podcast, which if you told me that was going to happen in 2019, I would have been like, what is wrong with you? So what a wild ride it has been, I know, for all of us, right? You know, It's not always easy, and I am not going to lie. I spent a lot of time worrying about money, my future, a post-pandemic world, and where I fit in there. Like, is this the end of my career? Am I now like a washed-up loser? It's not always a fun time. I know all of you are in the same boat in different ways, but I'm glad that I can be honest with all of you about that, and I think that's really, really important that we all lose that tired old expectation that we should always be, quote, on, that our real selves and our real thoughts aren't important, that we should always filter both our faces and our feelings. Like, fuck that. This community has given me the courage to open up about myself, to tell the stories I was always too ashamed to share. And it's changed my life in just such 
an indescribable way. We are on this journey together. We can support one another through the good times and the not so good times. There's a clear connection between loneliness, outsiderness, and not feeling good enough. And there's an even clearer line between not feeling good enough and buying lots of dumb stuff. Changing the world, changing our habits, that all relies on supporting one another and welcoming new people into our community with like the most open arms with hands that have been highly sanitized. (laughs) So let's keep working hard at being our true selves and appreciating radical honesty from ourselves and those around us. We, We can do this. We're in this together. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you like what you're hearing, say it along with me. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, tell your friends. Don't forget that you can find us on Instagram at Close Horse Podcast. And every Friday, I do an Instagram live at 8 p.m. Eastern time where I update you on what, what's happening at the blog and I answer your questions from this week's episodes and really about anything else. And I did miss this Friday's live session because I was raking up a bunch of crazy weeds in the backyard. Like, I don't know what they were, but I was trying to clear a bed to plant herbs there. And there's definitely some poison ivy, some poison oak, some poison sumac or something in there. And an hour later, I had a rash from like my neck and a tiny bit of my chin to my knees. Feeling slightly better now, but man, it was like my whole body was covered with the little prickers from cacti and it was miserable. So I missed this Friday, but I'll be back next Friday. I have some carryover questions that I received this week. And of course, I'll give you an opportunity on Thursday to submit your questions. Maybe, you know, to celebrate being back, maybe I'll wear something special this Friday. I guess, I guess we'll see. And I'm open to suggestions, of course. (laughs) Also, if you want to meet other Close Horse listeners, join the Close Horsing Around Facebook group. And of course, if you haven't by now, please check out closehorse.world and think about what you're going to contribute. If you can't get enough of hearing my voice, you should check out my other podcast, The Department, which I co-host with my friend Kim. We're talking about the 2000s. We've been talking about them for a while. This week, we talked about the magazines that kind of shaped our hipster lives in the early aughts. And next week, well, a couple days after you hear this episode, we will be talking about all of our favorite movies and directors of the odds. So you don't want to miss that. It's going to be really fun. Thanks as always to Dustin Travis White for our music and audio support. Bye.